This week on The Pros and Cons, we take you deep inside a horror movie phenomenon that inspired copycat murders. We're the pros and cons, two expert true crime television producers, Bethany Jones, that's me, and Adriana Padilla. With each episode, we talk to other pros, professionals, and to and about the cons that lived and worked the cases. The pros and cons is available on most of the popular podcast platforms like TuneIn, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and others. We also love it when you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts for the mere fact it helps other true crime fans find us. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Pros and Cons Podcast, where you can engage with us and other true crimeies. And you can find us on Twitter at the Pros and Cons Show. And if you want to drop us a line, you can do so at the Pros and Cons Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, so I'm excited because we are unveiling our surprise Halloween episode. We are, we are. So tell yeah. me, growing up, did you go trick-or-treating? Um, of course I did. What was your favorite costume you ever wore? I had a Chiquita Banana costume. Do you have pictures? I do have pictures somewhere, but it was kind of like a mid-drift thing, and I had a, a hat that had a bunch of fake fruit on top. <laughs> So that's what, or Carmen Miranda, um, she was a... Where in the world is... No, 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 no. That's Carmen Sandiego. Oh. Even though I've been Carmen Sandiego before <laughs> for Halloween, but Carmen Miranda, for those who don't know, she was um, this movie star during the golden age of cinema, and she was known for wearing these elaborate costumes and then these giant headdresses filled with like fruit and plumes. So it was, yeah, it was a very elaborate How costume cool. for, for a little girl. I never really went trick-or-treating until um, I'd moved from uh, the UK to the States. And it was a really, that was a real cultural you know, moment for me. <laughs> they don't trick or treat. In it's gotten a lot more popular, but it's not, um, you know, it's a, Halloween doesn't hold the same kind of. I feel like I feel so sorry for you. What You've, did you guys do? Well, we don't ask strangers for candies. That's for one thing. No, <laughs> they have. Um, they had like an All Saints night and people would occasionally play pranks on one another or bobbing for apples or the fair but halloween just it like it's really an american holiday and it's now taken on a much bigger cultural role 
in Europe than when I was a kid. Yeah, because I think I've said this before, but Halloween for me starts in September and probably doesn't end until early November. Yeah. When you have like we do. Um, Dia, Dia de los Muertos. Despite it being 90 degrees uh, in Los Angeles, I am fully committed to fall and the fall season. Um, I myself have been decorating and uh, my living room is littered with all my autumnal decorations right now. Um, you know, but growing up in England and France, I love the changing of the seasons, the apples. The yeah, I, I don't know anything about that. We don't know anything about that. <laughs> I'm an L.A. girl through and through. I'm like, the palm trees get a little bit more toasty, toasty during like a little bit less full during the winter. Maybe there's some rain. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And of course, in addition to all the beautiful fall foliage and um, apple pie and kind of getting cozy and pumpkin spice, everything. It is also for people like me who are a little weird and love all things horror, love mm-hmm. scary things. I go to every single maze that I can in LA. I think next week. Yeah, we have. We have. Oh, wait, no. I um, earlier we went to Warner Brothers yeah. new horror mazes, which were very intense. And I love to go to Universal and Knots. And in Los Angeles, there's tons of ways to terrify yourself and be pay and pay people to do that. So there is, and um, of course, you know, staying home and and watching horror movies at home because. So talking about horror movies, um, this week I was reminded of Wes Craven's classic horror film, Scream. Um, Firstly, because, you know, I just had drinks with the district attorney who prosecuted the case that we're going to speak about. And lastly, because the dark, moody 90s lipsticks seem to have made a comeback. Yeah, I know. Dark brown seems to be in. It does. Those dark chocolate brown I think, colors. I don't know. I think we should just try them out in the studio just for funsies. Mm. Well, without any further ado, Bethany, tell us about this case. So today's case is the case of Mario Padilla. No relation. A boy, I was thinking about that as I wrote this. No, we're A not A boy related. who killed his uh, mother and he was influenced by the movie Scream. The case takes place in Linwood, California in 1998. Linwood is a town that's part of Los Angeles County, but it's its own municipality. It's close to Compton, Watts, and is also home to a woman's jail. Yeah, Linwood uh, Women's Jail. So definitely a place that you would find in the tourist map. And (laughs) in January 1998, 16-year-old Mario Padilla lived at home with his mother, Gina, his stepfather, Pedro, and his baby sister. They shared a bedroom, and Gina and Pedro had set up a piggy bank in the shared bedroom for their baby daughter. Mario was a high schooler who had recently developed a keen interest in the movie Scream, which, if you think about it, in 1998, it was just a phenomenon. and It was like one of those movies that all the kids saw, and if you didn't, you were not cool. Well, and it had come out just uh, before Christmas in 96. So in 98, you know, you would have had the VHS tape and could just or go to Blockbuster or whatever. Yeah, it. and he would watch it every chance he got. 
Nothing seemed out of the ordinary with Mario. He just seemed to be a teen with a new interest. And after all, Scream was one of the most popular films of that time. Mm-hmm. Now, while Mario seemed to be doing okay at school, there were some tense moments at home with his mother. Yeah, he, you know, kind of would be combative with her when she asked him to do uh, chores. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. So pretty typical. And another point of contention was that Gina and Pedro forbade Mario from visiting his 14-year-old cousin, Samuel Ramirez, who lived with his grandmother. On the morning of January 13th, 1998, Mario woke up and got ready for school. However, this was a facade. Mario was merely giving the appearance of going to school. Instead, he went to an arcade where he met his cousin Samuel. No one in the family but the boys could have known what the ill-fated day would bring. The boys Samuel and Mario were at the arcade all morning. At approximately 2.25 p.m., they left the arcade and snuck back to Mario's home. And Gina was seated comfortably at the computer table. The boys entered and they covered their faces with their t-shirts, so they were disguised. Albeit a thin one, but a disguise nonetheless. Mario stabbed his mother first, and Gina amazingly was actually able to wrestle the knife away to get it away. Samuel then was pulled out a second knife and held Gina down, gave the knife, the second knife to Mario, and Gina was able to break that second knife. So I she mean, was fighting really hard. This woman was. I mean, fighting. she was able to take away one knife and break the second one. And she's been stabbed. Mm-hmm. It's at this time that Samuel gives Mario a third knife. Jesus, where are they getting all these knives? I know. Gina has been stabbed, and, I mean, she's fighting ferociously. And Mario stabs his mother in the neck and chest. And it's at that moment that she recognizes her nephew Samuel. And I just can't imagine how terrifying that is to be fighting for your life. You've got these teenage boys stabbing you and you realize one of them is your nephew and the other one is your son you know just what horror that would be a horror and betrayal because this is your own blood you don't expect that to happen as the fight ensued and escalated gina said to samuel help me i'm dying and then she began screaming uh her son mario's name and it was then that mario put a rag in her mouth The boys then washed their hands and fled the scene. In Gina's last moments, she was able to dial 911. My son, he's 16, he just stabbed me. I'm bleeding, oh I'm bleeding, is what the 911 call read, or what she said. She then had the strength to call her husband Pedro, Mario's stepfather, and talk to him. The call to 911, interestingly, came in at around 2.30 p.m. And if you remember, the boys got to the house at around 2.25. So this all happened in a really short amount of time. So five minutes. Like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, less than 10 minutes. Um, And it's kind of incredible that given the ferociousness of the attack, that she had the strength and ability to report 
this her son's attack on her in these last moments. And not only that, but also call her husband. I know. Yeah. It just makes me so sad. She's just made of steel. I mean. Yeah. So the Los Angeles sheriff's deputies responded to the 911 call. Inside the house, they found Gina lying on the floor, suffering from multiple wounds and covered in blood. She told the deputy sheriff that her son, Mario, was the one who had inflicted these wounds on her. Nearby, they found the knives used against her. Later, Pedro discovered with police that the piggy bank in Mario's bedroom was missing. Police thought that the boys came home after the arcade, tried to disguise themselves, and then proceeded to stab Gina more than 45 times. Mario was not really a... It wasn't difficult to track him down. I mean, it's a 16-year-old with his 14-year-old cousin. So they pretty much caught him right away. Yeah. And then they brought him in to be interviewed. And investigating officers who interviewed Mario twice, um, he initially denied involvement in his mother's death, and then he provided an accurate account of the crime. Mario told the sheriff deputies that he and Ramirez had discussed killing Gina and Pedro for more than a month prior to the incident. According to Mario, killing his parents was his idea, and he had also hoped to kill his stepfather, Pedro, who would have been killed if he had been in the home as the boys expected. Mario said the idea to kill his mom and stepdad arose from his frustration regarding his lack of freedom and his parents not letting him go out anywhere. Mm-hmm. During the second interview, Mario also confessed that he had contemplated killing three other people in a manner derived from the movie Scream, a female schoolmate with who Mario had sent death threats, as well as another female schoolmate and her boyfriend. One of those schoolmates looked a lot like the actress Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I mean, definitely, as you kind of see the imprint that film had on this kid. But also is a bit of a cocktail because, I mean, there's so many people who love horror movies who will never do anything to yeah. this level and, or at all. And um, But sometimes, you know, if you've got... Yeah. Some someone who's already has a disturbed mind. Right. I mean, that can be a, a volatile combination. Because of this confession, this led the sheriff's deputies to talk to Mario's schoolmates. I mean, he's given the account of what happened, but they need the background in the context of the crime. Because Yeah. What is he like outside of the cl- uh, outside of the home, you know? Because he he does seem to be troubled because he's been sending death threats to yeah. his um to his classmates. Yeah. So there's obviously a pattern there. Right. Exactly. And they have to kind of dig into that a little bit. The deputies learned that Mario had told a schoolmate that he intended to kill his parents on several occasions. The reason, because they were strict with him, made him do chores and wouldn't let him go out. The schoolmates also heard his cousin, Samuel Ramirez, say that it would be cool to kill Mario's parents. Mm -hmm. So Samuel was also a really bad influence on his life. Right. Yeah, egging him on, it seemed. Right, exactly. And, you know, they, uh, you know, Gina and Pedro had forbidden 
Mario from going over and seeing Samuel. Um, now, you can imagine a case like this really garnered a lot of attention. You know, the crime itself is pretty, you know, encapsulated. It's not a twisty, turny investigation. It's kind of more the aftermath of it that's more, I find more interesting. You've got a teen killing and you've got his, you know, killing his mother nonetheless. You've got this Hollywood connection with Scream. And this happened right at the time that d the debate between movies and violence was really at its fieriest. Um, there was a Washington Post article um, on this case that said, they say that a high percentage of paper money in the United States carries traces of cocaine. The money Hollywood makes off the films, TV shows, and recordings mentioned is carrying traces of blood. So it was when people really were talking about video games and movies and, you know, TV shows and are, is, are they the reason that kids are becoming more yeah, violent? Yeah, I felt like during that time it was the second coming of Satanic Panic where there I was you're right. something out there and this is the reason why uh, yeah. know, all these murders are happening and it was the media. Yeah, that you know, we were the scapegoat then. Um, the investigation had led the uh, de sheriff's deputies to learn the boys sought to copy the movie Scream and Scream 2 by wearing grim reaper costumes and voice distortion boxes. And because the boys could not afford these disguises, they decided to just simply pull their shirts over their mm. head. So, I mean, that's a thin disguise, if ever I heard one. So as District Attorney Carol Rose prepared for trial, the judge made an unusual ruling. He said that there could be no mention of scream in the courthouse or during trial. And so that's obviously a huge blow for the prosecution, especially given the fact that the defendant himself mentioned the movie and its influence and it, his motivation in the crime but, but I can kind of understand why he would do that because you don't want to completely sensationalize the the trial and also so, just uh, the name of, you know, Scream could sway the jury or kind of put a... Yeah. I don't know if you could... If you start to think of them as monsters or horror movie monsters, I yeah. mean... You want to make sure the trial's fair, unbiased, and right. not... It's already a sensational story. You don't want it to be twisted. Yeah. So while that's a hurdle for the prosecution, the, the defense has an even bigger hurdle. You know, they really don't have a lot to work with because Mario's confessed and the evidence substantiates his confession it's not faulty, it's not coerced, it's not a bad confession, you know? And there, you know, I know we've talked in other uh, episodes about false confessions. Um, they have the struggle of defending a teen who brutally killed his mother, and this is a fact. And so the defense tried to um, posture that Mario is mentally unwell and fit for trial, but that tactic didn't work. So you've kind of got this Molotov cocktail going on. You've got this teen who violently killed his mother and he 
was lying in wait with a disguise, you know, even though it was simply pulling the t-shirt over his head. You've got to imagine the thought and planning that went into that. And he was also planning on killing his classmates. So it's not a superficial crime. There's a lot of thought and intent that went into this. I think the intent is there, but I just feel like the planning probably wasn't. Just well, because it seems like a spur of the moment thrill killing from what I'm, you yeah. know. But that's, um, you know, that was part of why he got such a hefty sentence. Mm-hmm. When he was found guilty um, in 1999, he was ultimately sentenced to life without parole. And a lot of that, what, or LWAP as we say, and a lot of that was because of the lying in wait, you know, the facade of getting ready in the morning. And How then old was he again? 16. So you can get life without parole even though he's a minor. Even though he's a minor. And his cousin Samuel, who was 14, was uh, tried in a separate trial and sentenced to 25 to life. Um, and Pedro Mario's stepfather didn't attend the trial And District Attorney Rose called him after securing the conviction, and they both cried. And Pedro said that despite having raised Mario like his own son, he never wanted anything to do with him again. Hmm, interesting. And one of the more unusual things, to take it back to the horror film, um, Mario told the investigators that his plan, if he got caught, was to use the primal fear defense where it's a movie with Richard Gere and Edward Norton, and Ed Norton uh, kills a priest. Do you know the the film? It's so good. It's a top favorite of mine. And I just can't help but think this kid is just picking movies and trying to build his entire case on movies. It's bizarre. It's so strange. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty peculiar. So in the years since the trial, a lot has changed. And the LWAP sentence, the life without parole sentence given to people who are under 18 has come under scrutiny. So unshockingly, Mario appealed to have his sentence reduced. And according to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, Mario now has a parole hearing date in December of 2021. Um, so in a couple years coming up, his cousin and partner in crime, Samuel Ramirez, who again was 14 years old at the time, has a parole hearing on June 2023. So that's m- much further in the future, like a couple years from then. But right. it seems like these changing laws are allowing them at least to appeal these super lengthy sentences. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. Mario has had a relatively good record in prison. His only infraction is for making... Pruno. Pruno. What's Pruno? Pruno is inmate manufactured alcohol. And it's not like Chardonnay, I'll tell you that. It's prison hooch is usually made from rotting fruit. They leave it under a radiator or the like. And so if you've ever left orange juice out... Or even a piece of fruit out for so long and you know when it kind of garners that fizz. That's kind of the basis of Pruno. They have something called tempeche where it's you do it with um, 
brown sugar and pineapple. And it's a kind of alcoholic drink in, in Mexico. But I guess that's... <laughs> that sounds like it's made legitimately. It doesn't that's like sound... organic <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's kombucha type thing. Yeah. It's not prison hooch. No, oh, gosh. Shit'll make you go blind. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like he's pretty much stayed out of trouble, at least. Yeah. He, yeah, he definitely has stayed out of trouble. So, you know, I it's guess... It's just we'll... so hard because on one hand... He's this violent killer. And on the other hand, I mean, you've got a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. Yeah, very young. young. I mean, and where there's been scientific research that just says their brains haven't even formed at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. So I'm, you know, me personally, I've, I've always had some real ethical questions about mm-hmm. sentencing people that young to life without parole. Yeah. Or Maybe these we'll really do an hardcore, yeah, and because you, our viewers may be aware of this, but these kind of laws have been changing all over the country. They have, and it's really in the past few years. In California, it's been Prop Fifty Seven, SB Two Sixty, SB Two Sixty One that have made these changes. So, and and you know, it, for some people. I do think it's a good thing for others. It's not. And that's why we have the parole board because they'll be able to, um, you know, really take into consideration what these people or what these, um, you know, persons, uh, if they're suitable for public consumption. So, so Bethany, earlier you said you had drinks with um, the DA for this case, DA Rose, who is retired. Um, hopefully you didn't have any prison hooch. Um, can you tell us if she gave you any more insight about this case? Yes, she actually gave me some really fascinating tidbits. Um, uh, one of the interesting things that I learned from her is that while Mario was in a juvie in the juvenile detention center awaiting trial, he vandalized his cell and he vandalized it by writing, Mommy, I'm sorry, I killed you on his on the wall. So that obviously helped her case uh, significantly. And then one day, one of the guards was going to rent a movie for the kids from Blockbuster. And any guess what Mario's request was? I'm thinking it was Scream. Uh, You are right on the money. Yep. He was, (laughs) he asked for that, which, you know, they're like, really? That's the movie you're going to ask for when you're in this situation? So... Um, well, it seems like it hasn't, it didn't dampen his obsession with the, with the film. It didn't, no. Um, you know, and I'd like to thank everyone again for tuning in to the pros and cons. Oh, also, we want to do a quick shout out for everyone who visited us when we had our true crime happy hour. So much fun. Let's do it again. Yeah. Earlier this month. Thanks everyone who came out. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, I really hope we can do it again. Um, And, you know, since it's the season of horror, why don't you uh, post a picture of your favorite horror film or you and your favorite horror film inspired costume and either tag us on Instagram or post it on our Facebook page or Twitter. You know, we'd love to see it, hear what your favorite movies are. Um, Obviously, I mentioned that one of mine is uh, Primal Fear. Uh, which we mentioned earlier in the show. 
Um, and you can also get in touch with us in a plethora of ways. You can email us, drop us a line at the pros and cons podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us at a pros and cons show on Twitter and at the pros and cons podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. And if you could, please remember, subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify or your favorite Android app. Thanks, everyone. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Trick or treat. And remember, same time, same place, different crime each and every week. Bye. Thanks. Bye.